Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. This is episode number 83 of the Lean Blog Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It is January 27th, 2010. Our guest today is Jim Diderio, the CEO of Diderio, which is a Long Island-based manufacturer of guitar strings, drum heads, other musical accessories. I think you're really going to love uh, listening to Jim talk about the importance of Lean in their business strategy, how they are redeploying people, freeing up space, investing in their business, and moving a lot of production and jobs from China to New York. So it's a great story. Uh, I invite you to go to the blog post for a link to a CNN video from late last year featuring Jim and Diderio, the company. But uh, here we're going to go into much more detail about their lean efforts. So I hope you enjoy listening. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for uh, taking time out of your day to talk to us uh, here on the Lean Blog podcast. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. Um, so... Uh, it was great seeing the CNN piece about um, you and your, your company, and I'll link to that on the blog for anybody that wants to go and, and see that video. But I was wondering if we could you know, dive a little deeper into what you're doing with Lean at the company, if you could you know, introduce yourself and the company briefly and talk about how you first learned uh, about Lean. Sure. We, um, our company just specializes in manufacturing musical instrument accessories, and about 90% of the uh, 6,000 SKUs that we have are made in the USA already, and about 10% are made in, in um, offshore or mostly China. And uh, we embarked upon Lean uh, two and a half years ago by, by making a huge commitment up from the very top down to the bottom, and we selected 12 strong people out of 28 applicants in our organization from line workers all the way up to uh, top management positions, 12 people were selected to become lean champions. And uh, they went into six months of full-time training and became lean champions uh, in January 2008. So since that time, uh, they've been out in each of our factories implementing lean, growing as as teams and, and learning how to divide and conquer sometimes and also sometimes working as a group and they've trained many 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 more people in the organization um, in New York here we manufacture our uh, musical instrument strings for guitars and uh, violins and all all instruments except piano and we also manufacture our Evans drum heads uh, which is a, one of our second is a, you know, another one of our lines that's uh, a significant volume for us. We also have a factory out in California, Rico, that manufactures saxophone and clarinet reeds, and we've trained two people out there to be lean champions, and our uh, director out there has experience from the automotive industry uh, with lean. So all three of our American factories are now deeply involved with lean. That, that's great. How, how would you describe at this point, you know, two and a half years in, uh, the benefits and, and what you've been able to accomplish with Lane? Well, you know, this started as a, as a pretty small company. In 1905, my grandfather came to America. It was a tiny company in their home for many, many years. In 1973, my brother, my father, and I uh, expanded the business, and uh, it began to grow because we began to market our own brand of product. And back then, 
we were a very small company and we were out on the factory floor and uh, you know, we're very, very familiar with what goes on to manufacture our strings. So uh, we were naturally kind of lean thinkers. And um, a lot of things that we had going on in our, in our organization were pretty lean just, you know, by accident. And when I started reading a bit about lean uh, about four years ago, uh, it was when Rick Drum, who is our president now, joined the organization, and he had just finished getting his MBA at Babson. Um, and he was a, at the time, I don't know, 48 or 50-year-old, middle-aged guy, but he had gone back to school to get his MBA. And one of the things that he was impressed with was the, the case studies and the success stories with lean in manufacturing in the USA. In fact, at his previous job, he had had implemented a few Kaizans and, uh, at Vic Firth drumsticks with some success. So when he came here, he, you know, he kind of rekindled, uh, my interest in it. I had looked at it on several occasions, but most of my people kind of poo pooed it and I didn't see the benefit of it. And we never went forward. Uh, but now with a little more, um, energetic champion, um, I read a couple of books and I got excited about it because, it seemed to be a perfect fit for Denario. We have the, the the I think the perfect uh, uh, set of opportunities in that we we make thousands and thousands of the same things over and over and over again. So when you do figure out a, a workflow improvement or a quality improvement, there are significant benefits very quickly. Um, so right away, I got excited about it. We interviewed. Um, several uh, firms to help train our people and, and so on. Selected uh, one from Puerto Rico, Primex, who came here for six months and did the training uh, and the certifying, testing and certifying of our uh, 12 champions. And then we were off and running. So what we tackled initially was immediately all 12 were put in our distribution center, which was a relatively new distribution center where we put some automation in and between the misanalysis from uh, the beginning of uh, the scope of the project by us and our consultants. The warehouse was not running very well, and we had put a lot of money into automation. We had put a couple of million bucks into uh, conveyor systems and automation and uh, carousels and so on, and we just weren't giving our customers the service we needed, and we weren't getting the return on the investment that we had made. So we put them all there as a learning experience. For 30 days, they were all there, and they value stream mapped everything. And then they started to split off into teams, and we moved four of them into the drum heads and four into the fretted string area, and four remained at the, at the distribution center. So just to give you an example of the distribution center achievements, we had two warehouses, one in California with 12 people and one here with about uh, 40. And we we're giving to our domestic retailers, which are a music store that you would go to. We were giving 24 to 48 hour service on their orders, which is, was pretty standard in the industry and acceptable as a good benchmark for service. Our back orders were very high. Our systems for replenishing were late all the time. Uh, so we had a lot of back orders and a lot of unhappy customers. In, in uh, 2008, we had a million and a half dollars worth of back orders on the books. Uh, today, uh, we have under fifty thousand dollars. Wow! And yeah, it's amazing, a absolutely amazing. Well, even more amazing is we improved our service to um, if the order is in by five p.m. Eastern time, it goes out the same day. 
uh, instead of 48 hours. Uh, so that enabled us to uh, be much more important to our customers. They know they can rely on us. They keep a little less inventory. They order more frequently. We have more contact with them. Uh, while it's a little more busy work for us because we, we're probably, probably filling more, picking more lines and filling more orders to do uh, the same or a little bit more volume, we have a better relationship with the customer, and he's far more satisfied. Sure. So, so what we realized after we started getting good in this warehouse, uh, you know, we started shedding people. We didn't need that many once we started getting the systems to really work, and those extra people were able to be redeployed in other areas in the company. It also freed up a lot of space in the warehouse, about uh, 20% of the space at least has been able to be reutilized. So we, we kept improving and improving with this thing over the last two years. We were able to shut down our warehouse completely in California, and that saves us about a million two a year. And we, we've reduced the overall headcount from 52 people between the two warehouses to 26 and, and improved the service dramatically. Yeah. So now those those other people have been, you know, we've been able to redeploy people mm -hmm. uh, here in New York and in, in, in other capacities. So we started to look at things like sewing our guitar straps again, uh, which we were sewing in China. We built the lean work cell. Uh, we we studied it. It cost us a few pennies more to make it here, but we don't have a 110-day lead time. Right. We don't have large minimum order quantities. We could turn an order around in hours. Uh, refilling our supermarkets. Uh, so we just kept moving more and more of it here. And um, we're going to continue to do that. I'm in the middle of a project that, that has my involvement. It's called Make It Here, and I'm creating a blog uh, looking for vendors for certain parts and so on. And I'm studying right now what items that we, we are importing that we could possibly make here or what new items we're making that we can maybe make here. And when I say make here, it might, it, we might have to subcontract on injection molding or something we don't do, but we can assemble and we can package and we could, we could shorten those lead times and the, and the uh, order quantities, uh, the lot sizes and so on. So we, there's been so many areas where we've improved. Um, another great example is in our guitar string uh, area. We make almost 600,000 strings a day. We're the largest manufacturer of strings in the world. We got about 32 to 35% of the worldwide market share in our own brand name. And then we also make many sub-private label brands that I can't mention. So there's a lot of strings being made here in New York. And we've always been good at designing our own equipment and building automation and, and being productive on a work center level. But we've never really been as efficient as we are now in terms of a workflow. So um, what, we're, what we've accomplished is we've taken our high runners, 80% of our volume, and they're, and they're made on four out of the seven lines that we have. And we took those four lines, they, they, were, they were packaging to work backwards. There are six, let's say six strings in a guitar set. You've got to package them. So people coil them and they put them on a conveyor, each note, so all six get accumulated, and then the person at the end inserts them into envelopes and, and final packaging. And that was the packaging center. Well, in order for a, a set of strings to be made, previously someone else would have had to wind the wound strings, uh, make the cores so that the wound strings could be made. And there were three steps 
and three levels on the bill of material and huge work and process inventories in the wound string area. We were making 300,000 plus wound strings a day. We had over a million dollars worth of inventory, huge amount of space tied up just in wound strings. And we had a huge amount of space, about $600,000 worth of inventory in subassembly cores. What we did is we put all those machines into one work cell and made four work cells where they make the entire product from start to finish, filling certain predetermined um, supermarket bags. So it's all visual. And we, we cut all the work in process. And we have four hours worth now. So we cut all that work and process inventory out and improve the time from when the warehouse needs it to the moment they get it. I mean, on, the, on many of the high renders, we're making them every day in a very similar quantity. And uh, if they need a little more, we add to it. If they need a little less, we, we take away. But we, we pretty much have balanced it now where those high runners, where we have such a good history on them, we, we know what to make every day. And uh, it's dramatically improved the workflow. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've gotten great results. And like you were saying, even though you've been working with Lean formally for two and a half years, you certainly can hear a lot of elements of Lean thinking where I, I believe it when you say, well, you know, we, we just are naturally Lean thinkers. And I think a big part of that is the commitment to people. And, and something that came out strongly in the CNN piece was, um, I think you're saying, uh, even back to the 1970s, having the commitment um, to not laying people off, to redeploying people um, in, into other work. Um, that six-month full-time training commitment is quite an investment in your people. So I was wondering if you could share yeah. some of your thoughts on you know, how that philosophy ties in with Lean and, and how important um, you, you, you think it is to have that no-layoff philosophy and commitment to people. Yeah, well, laying off people is, is not something that... Um, we've done very much of in the, in the entire 40 years of my career uh, on, I'd say three or four occasions we've had to lay people off. And, and uh, of course, one of them has been this year because of the, uh, the economy, not because of the lean, but just because of lack of demand. We, we utilized work share programs in New York and California to go to four day work weeks in a lot of areas, but there were just some areas where we had a cutback and we, we, we probably laid off 45 to 60 people, 45 people and then we lost 15 or 20 in attrition and uh, you know because of the economy but now we're back up to the same levels we were uh, before uh, October of last year because we actually had to rehire people because of the new work that we've gotten which is great so we've always had a we've always been very very hesitant to lay people off uh, we're very sensitive to that. We we would rather actually build a product finished goods inventory, borrow money and invest in building inventory that we know we're going to sell eventually because our products, uh, a lot of our products are staples in the, in the, in the uh, music business and uh, it's pretty safe to make a, a coated snare head or a set of acoustic uh, light gauge strings and you know so you make if you had to make three months or six months worth of inventory to keep people busy and you can afford to do it we've done that in the past it's not really a lean principle but you know we have to do that sometimes so we don't lay people off so when we got involved with lean and then we're very sensitive to the fact that people are not going to embrace lean 
and accept it if they know by by doing something lean they might lose their job or somebody else might lose their job. So we're very very sensitive to that, and. Uh, We've been able to move people around and cross-train them, and it's been fantastic. For instance, we had a little lull in our drumhead sales in 2008 and early 2009 to the point where we would have had to lay off another 30 or so people. But because we brought more string business in, we cross-trained those people to be string makers. And now they could go back and forth. So we've been, cross, yeah, we've been cross-training as much of the staff as possible. Uh, we're trying to get to the point, and we're almost there, where everyone in a work cell knows how to do every job in the work cell so that they can pinch hit for each other. So it, the, the more valuable you make the employees to you, the, the less chance you're going to have to lay them off because if they have more skills and uh, you know you can use those skills, then their jobs are more secure as well. So I, I think Lean actually helps uh, is going to create a lot of jobs here at the Dario. I'm, I'm excited about it. And we're not just going to create jobs to have people on the payroll. We're going to create jobs where we create new business. Yeah, and, you know, you tell that story about building up inventory to, to keep people working. I mean, I, I wouldn't criticize you for that because even if you look at Toyota or other lean companies, there's something to be said um, for choosing you know, as a strategy to level out your production and allowing inventory to fluctuate for the sake of, yeah. Uh, stability of the workforce and, and stability um, of your process. So um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what, early this, you know, the first seven months of this year were horrific for our business. We were down 17% in demand and sales. And even though we were given better service and improving quality, we still were off. And because of the economy, so we knew we, you know, we we knew we would had to do something. You know, and I also felt that we, we were talking to our customers. We get sell-through reports from a lot of our larger customers, and our product was selling through. They were just letting their inventories dwindle, which to me meant at some point that pipe is going to be empty, and they're going to demand quantities we won't be able to make. So I, I, I made a bold decision with, with the group in the early summer was to, to uh, bolster the A high runner inventory by 30 or 40%. And thank God we did it because we were right. When the business started to come back a little bit or people's inventories were depleted, they had to order. So, you know, you, you got to be careful because sometimes if you, you cut it back too much, those inventory levels, you might lose sales opportunities if, you, if your capacity isn't big enough to cover spikes that appear. Yeah. Um, well, and final question for you maybe uh, to talk about Lean and your role as a CEO. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on how Lean ties into the company strategy and what your role is as the, the CEO in terms of leading the effort or um, you know, helping educate people or set uh, create an environment where Lean can be successful for you. Well, I ha I'm always involved. Uh, I'm one of those hands-on guys in terms of the technical aspect of the business. So I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm out on with factory floor a lot. I know what's going on with the machinery. I design machinery myself. And so I help my engineers now design, uh, the machines we're working on and the products we're making. So I'm, I am intimately involved with what's going on. So the same thing happens when we get involved in lean. I, I don't intimately get involved with a Kaizen event, but I know when, what they're doing, when, what results we're getting. I ask for certain metrics and goals, um, and they know I'm fully supportive of the effort. 
And I think that that's the most important thing. I think that any CEO or anybody in upper management has to get some training to fully understand lean, what it's going to do for them, set some goals, define some metrics that people report back to you, watch them, celebrate the victories together, um, you know, help them when they're stuck on something. And then uh, more people join the, the, uh, the, the uh, effort voluntarily and it becomes more and more successful and uh, I, I mean that's essentially what I do um, I think I might actually try to lead one Kaizen in the first or second quarter in an area I'm pretty familiar with and I have a lot of ideas on so they're, they're, they're saying well why don't you lead that Kaizen I said well maybe I will but you know <laughs> that requires me to stop doing everything else I do so that, that can be difficult but um, it's fun to watch these things take place I can tell you yeah. it's exciting well, it, it's great to hear about uh, the, the the progress that you've made. I, I really admire the the commitment um, that you have for manufacturing, keeping that here in the U.S. And I want to thank you for sharing um, the story, not only in that that great CNN piece that aired, but uh, for taking time um, share a little bit more detail about the the work you're doing and your role here on the podcast. I really appreciate you doing that. No problem. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.